This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 235. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. Today, I have with me Mr. Matthew Marister. Hey, Riley, back at it again, man. Yeah, what's up, dude? Nothing much, nothing much. Um, Getting some rain at your place. Yeah, Columbus, rain, Ohio, changes every minute, so... Never know. You might hear some thunder and then it's going to be nice and sunny rainbows and birds and stuff. So, yeah. Hey, I'm excited to see Columbus, although briefly in like a month here. Yeah, I'm I'm happy that you're going to come out here and stay with me at least overnight until you get to the airport the next day when we, after we uh, run that class, it'll be cool. Yeah. So Matthew and I are teaching uh, the Triple Guardian course that's three days of defensive handgun training essentially levels one two and three uh, we've got a guardian essentials pistol guardian standards and guardian breakthrough pistol uh, over three days july 13th to the 15th and just because of the way flights and everything worked out uh, obviously i'm flying out there and then i'm flying back well it worked out to where yes we're teaching this in cincinnati but matthew's based in columbus and so i'm gonna go back with him to his home Cause he wouldn't let he wouldn't let me stay in a in a hotel for some reason. I don't know. Like, I don't know. He's like cost conscious or something. <laughs> no, he's just a good dude. And so, uh, yeah, we'll drive back to Columbus and I'll fly out the next day. Anyway, we're super excited about that class. And if you want to learn more, you can go to concealedcarry.com forward slash Ohio Triple Guardian twenty eighteen. That's O H I O T R I P L E G U A R D I A N two zero one eight. It's always fun to. It's a challenge to <laughs> to spell things out sometimes, but you almost have to, you know, so people get the links right. Hey, it looks like we have Krista's approval on this, uh, Matthew, because she just commented with a thumbs up. Yeah, she's she's in the loop as far as you coming out here, so it's gonna be fun. We'll we'll make some uh, some nice food for you or something, or Sweet. McDonald's or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, hey, you you know me. I'll I dig McDonald's just fine. You know, I, I could have been a Marine because, like, Marines can eat anything, right? Well, yeah. I, I, I I could eat anything. Like, just, you know, so, like, one of the first times I'm – actually, it was the first time you and I met in person. This is this is crazy, people. We're, we're starting to give you, like, the, the down and dirty of the Concealed Carry podcast behind the scenes because, Matthew, you and I, we had communicated. We talked on the phone. We messaged each other. We texted each other. We talked on Facebook. All this stuff for like, I don't know, how long? Long. It seems like forever now. A couple of years, I think. <laughs> and then the first time we meet was a couple of months ago for the Concealed Carry Expo. And you picked me up from the airport in my truck, I might add, because <laughs> the team drove my truck out there for the show. I had to fly because my baby was just born, uh, my, my youngest one now. And, and, uh, and so I was starving. And I was like, dude, like I got to get something to eat. I'm like, are you cool with McD's? And he's like, yeah, whatever, man. He just he just took it like a man, like a like a marine. Oh yeah, McDonald's is always good. You can find something, right? <laughs> Ghost Tactical watching on Facebook says, "Semper Fidelis." Semper Fi, brother. Yeah, so awesome. Uh, I am not a marine. I will not. I will not uh, crap on on you guys with uh, my 
uh, lowly self, uh, you know. <laughs> so anyway, all right. Yeah, I don't want to take anything from you. You guys are awesome. So um, we are <laughs> way off topic here, but uh, today's episode is going to be awesome. We've got some great stories coming up here. Uh, we've got some legislative updates, uh, updates out of Texas, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and Delaware. We got some stories out of New Orleans, New Jersey. We've got teachers and guns on the table. We've got Snopes, good old Snopes, showing its true colors. We got students down in Texas that uh, are triggered, and they have decided to voice their opinions on uh, gun control and what they think ought to happen. And so we're gonna get in all that great stuff, plus several awesome justified save stories that I can't wait to get to. But. Today's episode is also brought to you by not only the class we're teaching, we hope that you can join us in Cincinnati here in just a few weeks. Uh, go get signed up for that if you can, but also check out the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app, now available, brand new, updated, and we are releasing updates all the time. So that means it is getting better all the time. Uh, go on to Google Play Store if you're using an Android device or the Apple App Store if you're using an iOS device, and get get the app, get that app downloaded. Don't delay. Uh, you can see our news feed. You can get the podcasts. You can get you can jump into our online forums. There's great stuff going on there. Our online store, reciprocity maps, law summaries, training logs. You can keep track of all your training there. But I do want to highlight that it's summertime. People are going on the road. They're vacationing. And so that reciprocity map and legal summary part of the app is super awesome. I can generate, let's see here, use my CCW info. And if you're watching on Facebook, it normally works. <laughs> of course, now that we are, you know, when someone else is watching, then that's okay. Well, I'll have to see, maybe I'll restart the app. That's probably what it is. So yeah, that's, that's embarrassing, right? There we go. I restarted the app and bam, it popped right up. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know what was going on there because I just used this recently. So I, I just used my personal CCW permit info and it generated this this map right here. And if I want to go over to laws, then I can read legal summaries. I'm coming to Ohio in a few weeks. So Matthew, I better get edu educated on yeah. the laws in Ohio. It's, better. There, there we go. There they are. Bam. <laughs> so get the app concealedcarry.com forward slash app and also today's episode is brought to you by the live fire drill cards by Burnett. Burnett's live fire drill cards are awesome matthew you've had some hands on with them now i know uh, yeah. i think you did did you do a write-up on them uh no it was a pick of the week of mine a while back oh that's right that's right yeah yeah so i mean just a cool there's so many amazing you know training tools and, and stuff out there th these days. I mean, I've got these dry fire training cards sitting on my desk. This is another good one. Uh, not to take anything away from uh, Burnett Life Fire Drill Cards. I'm, I'm just pointing out that these are cool, but what's way cool about Burnett's Life Fire Drill Cards is they are like, they're like a like a like a Bible almost, <laughs> in that you know you have all these drills in there, but you can record your times and results and track that over over your history, so you can measure improvement over time. That's super cool. All in a nifty little binder. If you want to buy the whole setup, check it out. Learn more at concealedcarry.com forward slash LFDC. That that stands for Live Fire Drill Cards. So concealedcarry.com forward slash LFDC. 
So we better jump into the news stories here in a moment. But first, we don't want to forget that popular segment on the podcast is Andrew Branca's Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week segment. So I'm queuing it up now. You ready? I am ready. Boom. Here it comes. Thanks for joining us for the Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. This Case of the Week is State v. Barlett, and it comes out of the Kansas Supreme Court. It's a good illustration of how even a state Supreme Court can get the law badly wrong and take a full 15 years before it corrects its own error. In this particular case, there were two groups of men, driving around in two automobiles, chasing each other and exchanging gunfire. The driver of one of the cars ends up with a passenger that shoots someone in the other car. The passenger who fires the killing shot cuts a deal with the prosecutors and testifies against the driver. The driver was not the person who fired the shot, so he's charged not with murder but with felony murder for being engaged in criminal conduct when the shot was fired. At trial... The defendant seeks to raise the legal defense of self-defense, but the trial court says no, they will not instruct the jury on self-defense. The reason is there's a Kansas statute that states that you cannot claim self-defense to justify the use of force in the course of an underlying felony. The idea behind this is if you're robbing a liquor store and the clerk pulls a gun on you, you don't get to shoot him and then claim it was defending yourself against his gun because you were committing that underlying felony, the robbery. Fifteen years ago, the Kansas Supreme Court established a rule based on that statutory provision that you were not permitted to argue self-defense to justify a use of force if you were committing some underlying crime. The problem with this rule is obvious, even at a glance. If you defend yourself against a deadly force attack and you use your licensed handgun to do so, when you kill that other person, but the prosecutor decides to take you to court anyway, he's going to charge you with murder or manslaughter or some similar killing charge, all of which are forcible felonies, and as a result, deny you the ability to justify that use of deadly defensive force as self-defense based on this rule established by the Kansas Supreme Court. In this particular case, the trial judge with this defendant was simply following the well-established rule. And when the defendant was convicted and appealed his conviction to the Court of Appeals, the Court of Appeals affirmed his conviction, again applying the rule established by the Superior Kansas Supreme Court. Then the defendant appealed the affirmation of his conviction all the way back up to the Kansas Supreme Court and gave them an opportunity to readdress this rule. And when they did that, they decided to change the rule. Now the new rule is that for you to be denied self-defense because you were committing some underlying criminal act, the underlying criminal act needs to be something in addition, beyond your use of force that you're seeking to justify self-defense. So in the self-defense scenario, if the only alleged criminal conduct is the shooting of that person, that can't be an underlying criminal act to be used to bar you from claiming self-defense. If you're committing some other criminal act, like robbing a liquor store, then that criminal conduct, which is independent of your use of force, can be used to bar you from justifying your use of force as lawful self-defense. 
Interestingly, in this particular case, even though the Kansas Supreme Court changed the rule to be better aligned with the defendant's legal arguments, the defendant's conviction was nevertheless reaffirmed by the Kansas Supreme Court because there was a second reason to deny the defendant a self-defense jury instruction, and that is that the defendant was a mutual combatant. Mutual combat is when two people or two groups of people agree to settle their differences through physical force, through fighting. If you're a mutual combatant, both you and the other party who's agreed to fight with you are mutual aggressors. You're both co-aggressors in that conflict. And as an aggressor, you lose the element of innocence. And if you've lost the element of innocence, you lose self-defense. As always, I encourage you to read this decision in its entirety. And you can do that by simply pointing your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Barlett. That's B-A-R-L-E-T-T, lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Barlett. If you enjoy this content, I invite you to join us for the Law of Self-Defense live show every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's totally free to either participate live or to watch the recording after each show. For more information, point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash show. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. Well, there you have it. Another case of the week from Andrew Branca of Law of Self-Defense, uh, the preeminent authority on such matters, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Andrew is a highly intelligent individual where it comes to these sorts of things, which is why we go to him for our self-defense legal knowledge uh, for the podcast here. So uh, that's quite a case. I mean, to be honest with you, Matthew and, and listeners, uh, basically have a bunch of, I, I hate, you know, like, I hate to say it or classify them this way, but I think it's the truth. Uh, a bunch of thugs, okay? <laughs> These are probably not some of your finest citizens. Uh, the, the the parties involved in this case were uh, basically a bunch of rappers. And they, they had formed a rapping group together, and uh, they had a falling out, and things went south really quickly. And then basically you had... What, what appeared to have been some sort of like moving shootout, you know, car chasing another car and they're like shooting at, at each other. Pretty crazy stuff. I mean, this is not like your typical citizen type encounter, but the lessons to be learned are that innocence is a very important piece of any self-defense case. Uh, you've got to be innocent and you, you give up that innocence when you commit a crime essentially. And especially when you instigate something, um, so that case was kind of specific in some regards, but I think the lesson to be learned, what I take from this, Matthew, is like, don't don't be a thug, <laughs> don't be stupid, uh, don't don't start fights, especially like that's a really big one. Don't start fights, and yeah, and, <laughs> and by that I mean don't start altercations, don't start arguments, um, be a peacemaker, like that's. Yeah, that's all I have to say, sure. you know, because sure. I mean, we always talk, try to avoid confrontations if you can. Right. I mean, there's a difference between being aggressor um, in obviously in being a victim. But then there is also a gray area or a fine line that you cross when you're a mutual combatant. And that's that's the issue. You don't want to fall into that, you know, that zone where 
where you can be seen as a mutual combatant where people could say, yeah, you could have left, but you had to get your, your last word in. You had to, you know, show that you weren't going to let them disrespect you or whatever. I mean, it's not disrespectful or it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with walking away from somebody who's, you know, being disrespectful to you and, and not engaging in it. So, I mean, it just opens you up to all kinds of problems. And I always go back. I, I could talk about this case like this all the time because it's so applicable in so many different aspects of life and everything. But I mean, it's always the, per, the, the person who calls the police on the ground. You know, they you show up. I'm the victim. I'm the victim. And they want to be the victim because they got the worst of it. Turns out, you know, you, you interview the people that saw it and that guy was going around starting the fight. The other guy just handled it and left. And now you want to be a victim and, and you're not a victim. You're a mutual combatant that actually probably was the aggressor. But, you know, so it's just yep. avoid confrontations, avoid trying to stroke your own ego to uh, because it, it gets you into problems. Yep. Good summary, man. So our first uh, legislative update. So this is our new uh, we, last week, we determined that we would have a uh, basically three segments of the podcast. We've got legislative updates, which we'll do first, and then we've got other news, which are, is of interest, industry news, uh, whatever. And then we've got our justified saves segment at the end of the towards the end of the podcast. This first update is from is comes to us out of uh, Water Weatherford, Texas, um, and. This is according to the Star Telegram, Star Telegram, Star-Telegram.com is the site, in case you're wondering. It says here, add the Weatherford School to the list of school districts throughout Texas that allow concealed carry of firearms by employees. The school board at its Monday, June 11th meeting voted to implement a defender program, joining over 170 districts across the state and having a concealed carry protection program. That's pretty awesome, although Texas is a big state. Uh, the exact date of implementation is he- has yet to be determined as several things have to be decided, such as who qualifies for the program and when and where training will take place. So it sounds like training is, is a part of this program. Uh, they don't have all those details. It sounds like totally worked out, but good for them for doing something uh, with regards to, you know, uh, improving the safety and, and security of their schools and their, and their ch- children, their students. Um, I'm actually involved right now. Uh, I'll, I will stay pretty mum about it. Uh, for the time being until, you know, we get further along in the process. But I'm actually involved in a school safety task force right now in my own school district where we're looking at some similar things. We're, we're looking at all these different options and possibilities as to what can be done uh, in our own school district to improve safety and security. Uh, we'll see how that goes, and, and uh, I'll, I'll keep you updated as it's uh, relevant. But uh, good, good on the Weatherford School Board for passing this. On now to Illinois, and according to Reason.com, there's a case uh, referred to as People versus Green, which was decided Thursday by the Illinois Appellate Court. Illinois court strikes down ban on carrying guns within a thousand feet of school, but is apparently open to narrower bans. Now, Matthew, you brought this case to my attention. Uh, Can you give us a little summary? Yeah. So basically, um, what there's what this rule or this law was enacted for is not talking about the school grounds themselves. It's talking about kind of like a I don't know a zone around the school grounds, um, which is theoretically uh, would make the the kids on the school safer somehow because you know you can't shoot a, a, a 
you know, bullet past a thousand, a thousand feet. So, you know, that thousand foot buffer zone would definitely make a difference, but they, they kind of realized that, um, that that's, uh, not enforceable. It's not, it, it's, it doesn't, um, a, a accomplish the effect that they wanted it to. So, um, you know, they, they open or they overturned or open to, uh, to removing that thousand foot school. It still pro- prohibits people from bringing guns onto school grounds, but, uh, just not that thousand foot buffer zone. Yeah. This doesn't surprise me. We've seen some similar things in other jurisdictions where um, this is not the first court that has um, made it clear that very specific uh, restrictions as far as where guns can and cannot be possessed and or carried, uh, where that's allowed, okay? Um, And so I think that's something to understand that there is a precedent in our country now that where you have very specific restrictions, a lot of times those can those will stand. Um, at least there's not been anything that's gotten all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States um, that deals with this particular issue. But uh, we've seen a number of state Supreme Courts and even district courts that have ruled on similar issues. But anyway, the, the good news, at least for now in Illinois, is that this particular law has been overturned, and we'll just see if something else hap- you know, develops w- with regard to that down in the future. So next up, an update uh, out of Pennsylvania. Now this was this came to my attention uh, from our one, our managing editor actually of concealedcarry.com, Josh. Uh, he lives uh, for the time being in Pennsylvania. Uh, I believe he's in the process of moving somewhere else. But uh, Pennsylvania, the House, is set right now to vote on several gun bills. Uh, this is kind of a result. You know, we're seeing a lot of these sort of things t- uh, happening across the country because of Parkland, especially because of the uh, shooting down there in Texas, also not too long ago, uh, at, uh, the other school shooting there. And um, one bill here in Pennsylvania would ban firing mechanisms that make semi automatic triggers faster. Depending on the wording of that bill, I hate that kind of stuff because. You know, does that mean a lighter trigger? I mean, that's basically one of the reasons why we might install a lighter weight trigger in a gun, particularly a precision gun or an AR-15. My competition three-gun rifle has a nice, light, short reset trigger in it, uh, which aids in shooting, you know, pretty accurately and quickly on close-up targets and you know on those we we have what we call hoser stages sometimes right in a three-gun match where you just have a ton of targets that are up really close and you're trying to just rattle through those as fast as you can you still got to be reasonably accurate and so what helps a light quickly resetting short stroke trigger and i have to ask if, if is this one door you know, being cracked open that might restrict things like that. I don't know. I definitely think that they are looking at those devices. I can't remember what it's called now, the brand name, but you know, the, the the trigger cranks and stuff like that. I'm sure that's one thing that they're trying to target with this, but I'm just a little bit concerned about that being expanded into other uh, parts as well. Um, another bill, uh, they, they're talking about extreme risk protection orders as well. Um, those, depending on how those are structured, can definitely be a, a big time concern. 
Um, they are, let's see, House Bill 1400 would require universal background checks. And from what I read on another site, it seemed to indicate this would include even within families. Um, I, I don't have a for sure. I haven't actually dived in uh, or I haven't gotten really deep into the uh, bill uh, uh, verbiage, you know, personally. So I don't I don't know this for a fact, but that's kind of the impression I was given. So that could be, uh, uh, you know, quite a inf uh, infringement on our rights as well in Pennsylvania. Um, here's that House Bill 1872. Once again, ban trigger devices, and this includes bump stocks. Uh, House Bill 2060 would require domestic abusers to relinquish weapons to law enforcement. I thought that there was probably some other similar things already in place, but I could be wrong on that. And then, of course, the extreme risk protection orders. That's House Bill 2227 and House Bill 273 would allow people with mental or physical health concerns to voluntarily surrender their firearms and provide some provisions for that. So, you know, there's, I don't know about the House Bill 273. Maybe, uh, okay, you know, people want to voluntarily voluntarily surrender their weapons. Okay, fine, like whatever. Uh, but some of this other stuff is definitely very, very concerning. Yeah, and it's it's especially the devil's in the details with all this stuff, right? So the problem is, is um, the way it's worded is very important. Mm -hmm. For example, you know, if you just glance over, would require domestic abusers to relinquish weapons to law enforcement. Most people would say, yeah, if somebody has a propensity to to be violent towards, you know, uh, a spouse or something like that, then maybe that they shouldn't uh, own firearms. I, I can I I can understand that, right? But does that come before a conviction or just if they've been charged and does that come you know with you know uh does that ever real does that ban last a lifetime or can it ever be so you know you really have to look at how these laws are worded and that's the problem people will will go will give a you know a basic overview of the law and say well if you don't like this law then then you're for domestic abusers having guns well no, not necessarily. I'm just not for them to be disarmed prior to, you know, a, a trial or prior to them being arrested for it or, you know, and, and so um, it, the devil is definitely in the details. So it's really important, like, you know, when we're deciding if these are bills are good or bad or, or whatnot to, to really dive into it and see exactly how it's going to shake out, especially like you said, with the, with the, uh, the devices that would increase, you know, firing rate or, you know, um, that can be very open to interpretation. So, you know, I mean, I, I don't yeah. know, maybe you take, you, you take someone's finger away if they pull the trigger too quickly, you know, you break it so they can't, <laughs> can't squeeze the trigger as quick. I don't know. <laughs> you know? Well, it makes you wonder if, uh, people like Jerry Mitchellick would be prevented from, uh, <laughs> have to go in a living in that state, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll just, Keep, we'll try to keep you apprised and updated on this on these bills as they move forward. Keep in mind, this is a Republican uh, majority committee. Uh, there are 16 Republican members and 11 Democrat members. And from what I'm seeing, there are Republicans that are on board with a number of these proposals. So, I mean, they certainly have the votes to just squash all these bills if they wanted to. Uh, the fact that they're actually discussing them tells me that, you know, there's some Republicans that may actually be in favor of adding additional gun control to the state of Pennsylvania. And that is definitely concerning on now to an update from the NRA ILA. 
the Rhode Island legislature is looking to wrap up its 2018 legislative session as early as the end of this week. It is typical for lawmakers to, to suspend the rules in the waning days of session. What that means is they try to uh, accelerate the process of pushing bills through, and that can be a very dangerous time. It says here, according to the article, for gun owners when anti-gun bills can quickly be called to the floor for a vote. Uh, make no mistake, anti-gun groups and Bloomberg activists are working the halls to try to get more gun control this session. They are aggressively pushing several bills in, in Rhode Island, which increase the purchase age for rifles and shotguns from 18 to 21. They are also advocating for legislation to make schools completely gun-free zones. By abolishing concealed carry despite zero evidence that current Rhode Island state law isn't working. And remember, once the rules are suspended, every introduced piece of legislation becomes a threat, including semi-auto bans and magazine capacity restrictions. So we, the NRA, it says here, is calling on all gun owners to basically put pressure on your representatives in the Rhode Island State House. Um, there there's actually a rally taking place there tomorrow, June 20th at 3.30 p.m. at the State House. Uh, so if you're interested, you might participate in that. Uh, you can also contact your state senators and state representatives, um, and there are links here in this particular story where you can easily do that. So, Yeah, I'm, I'm going to guess any time that there's suspension of rules, probably nothing good is going to happen. Right. I mean, if you have to suspend the rules to get stuff passed and to, to make stuff happen, it's probably not right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we have legislative processes for a reason, typically. And, uh, you know, both, to be honest with you, there's there's rules and things in place, particularly in our federal uh, state house and Senate, uh, federal state, federal house representatives and the, and the Senate um, that sometimes are, they, they can be tools both ways, right? Processes to kill worthwhile things and also processes to sneak things through. But anyway, uh, we're keeping an eye on this one for you. Um, but uh, contact uh, your representatives and state senators and let them know of your displeasure on these anti-gun bills. In the state of Delaware, some good news at least, gun ban dies in the Delaware Senate. So basically what they had going on here in Delaware was Senate Bill 163, where is basically an assault weapons ban. If you you know at the core of it, that's basically what it is. It says here, there's says here it was anti-gun legislation sought to ban semi-automatic firearms commonly owned for self-defense, target shooting, and hunting. It would have banned the sale, transfer, purchase, or possession of so-called assault weapons. Uh, so the good news is that was defeated. That was on the table. It was uh, it was actually supported by Governor Carney there in the state of Delaware but it did not get through the Senate. So kudos to you in the state of Delaware, but don't let down your guard because you know they tried it once, they will try again. And for all of us, regardless of where we live, there are attacks going on right now against the Second Amendment. So just know that what's happening in one place is likely happening somewhere else or about to. Unless you live in maybe Utah. Utah's a pretty... <laughs> Utah's probably one of the more stable states right now where it comes to gun legislation. Although there have been things tried in the past, so don't even be fooled there. So we have a story here. Uh, Matthew, I'm going to let you take the lead on this one. New Orleans Advocate reports New Orleans bail bondsman and a deputy constable are accused of concealed carry permit scheme. Yeah, totally, totally not cool. Um, 
Just real quick, a bail bondsman found himself on the wrong side of the law Thursday as he and a deputy constable were arrested on allegations that they concocted and sold fraudulent applications for concealed handgun permits. Um, Louisiana State Police claim that Derek Jones, the owner of Free Me Bail Bonds, and an Ennis Broussard, a deputy constable for Second City Court in Algiers, conspired in the scam, which was uncovered when a background check investigator noticed inconsistencies on a permit application in September. Um, so they booked these guys on forgery and conspiracy. Um, and of course, they both start pointing the finger at each other and saying, hey, I didn't know. I, it was that guy's fault. I was doing it right. And I can't believe, you know, you're, you're uh, accusing me of this. But it happens all the time. Um, not, not to this you know, not usually um, to this level where it's kind of like a, almost like an inside job, you know, typically you have instructors that are cutting corners and they're forging um, certificates and things just to, to get students through the door. Um, and, and they get, you know, found out that they're not actually meeting the requirements of the state. So this is sad that people are doing this. It kind of puts a black eye on, on everybody and says, Oh, see, you know, um, but it also shows that, you know, everybody that you can't just trust people because they're in a position of authority. You always have to have oversight on everybody to keep them in line. And, and you know, so this is unfortunate, um, but it looks like there was 20, was it 22, 20, 27 different applications that were uh, that were deemed to be fraudulent and maybe they'll find more. I don't know. Yeah. Crazy stuff. I mean, you got a deputy constable and you got basically a, a bail bondsman who's a CCW instructor as well and uh, just all kinds of really scammy stuff going on here. Uh, I'm glad they're busted. You know, we need to police our own within our community, uh, which, I mean, it's hard. I mean, that's obviously they were caught here by the cops, but the, the point is like people like this are not welcome in our community, right? Mm -hmm. uh, poor instructors, not welcome. Uh, people that uh, set a, a poor example for all the rest of us, you know, as far as gun owners go, you're not welcome, okay? Like, you are welcome in our community if you are responsible, if you are law-abiding, if you are safe, and, yeah, like, and, and you have a passion about guns and gun rights. Like, okay, you are welcome. If you're any of those, if you're not any, or if you go against any one of those things I just listed. If you're not responsible, if you're not safe, if you're not um, pro-gun or whatever it is, then like, see you later. <laughs> Get out so of here. So what you're saying is these guys <laughs> couldn't suspend the rules temporarily, right? <laughs> the legislature can. Yeah. You, you guys know, can't. <laughs> you read the story here and it's, I, I'm a little bit confused, you know, even just reading it because it's like how how is this possible that they were you know trying I, I don't I don't know exactly what was going on here to where they even thought they could get away with this I don't but then again criminals are not always smart no. you know like in fact they rarely are so yeah whatever all right I'm glad they're busted see you later okay on to the next thing here last week we reported on the podcast uh, that on Wednesday. Um, the governor of New Jersey was going to be signing into law six bills that are all anti-gun. You know, they're gun control bills. Um, you know, further restricting magazine capacities, uh, armor-piercing rounds, all kinds of stuff, right? So that those were signed into law last week, is my understanding. On, what was it, Friday, was it? June 17th. 
or no, excuse me, on Sunday. Excuse me, it was on Sunday. Um, it was because it was like from Saturday afternoon to Sunday afternoon. So there's this 24-hour uh, art festival going on in New Jersey, and 22 people, including a teenager, were injured in a shooting at this art festival. This was in Trenton, New Jersey. Uh, there was a suspect. He's been he was killed by police. Okay, they showed up and they engaged him and shot him dead. Okay, um, police identify the suspect as as a Mr. Wells, age thirty three. He it could have been far worse. Now, what's interesting here? This doesn't appear to be a classic case of this wasn't like a uh, deranged individual that decided that he was going to go commit this you know mass shoot, uh, murder you know. Uh, event. It wasn't like, I mean, it, it kind of was an active shooter event, but it wasn't like your traditional active shooter event, if that makes sense. It was actually a gang dispute is what it appears. Uh, you had a couple of individuals that were involved and uh, this one gentleman decided he was going to try to you know, take out these others. Now, what's interesting and in a related story, I dug this one up. It apparently, it, it was reported that uh, there was a Facebook post that warned in advance that the Art All Night Festival would be the target of a shooting and urged people not to go. And that this post was made ahead of an actual shooting incident um, that left an alleged gunman dead and 22 injured, 17 of them by gunfire itself. Um, The post said something along this lines, please, please do not go to Art All Night. They will be shooting it up. Read a screenshot of the post on a news site. In a screenshot of the post on the Trentonian, the post was posted on Saturday at 11.25 a.m. The fair started at 3 p.m. according to the festival website. Shots were fired. Uh, That happened around 2.50 a.m. And, of course, all the people were were injured. Now, it's amazing that nobody else besides the shooter was killed. Um, But it's also amazing that this post was made in advance. And I don't know who knew what when. I don't know if the police, I, I would imagine they, I mean, somebody had to have forwarded this, forwarded this along to them. I don't know. But this seems pretty suspect as far as, this is bizarre. Somebody knew something was going to go down. They posted it about it, and then it went down. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm guessing, it doesn't say any of this in the, in the interview or in the, in the article, and I couldn't find anything, but I'm guessing this is two gang is, is a gang dispute. Probably one of the girlfriends or f- associates of one of these gangs says, Hey, I, I know they're going to go and shoot the place up. I, I have like some, a little piece of, you know, integrity in my body or, or uh, you know, apprehension that this might be a bad thing. People might get injured. So she, instead of, or he, instead of like going to the police and telling them, Hey, this is what's going to happen. And this I know because my boyfriend or whoever is, told me that this is what they're going to do tonight, they say, okay, well, I'll just post it on Facebook and let somebody else deal with it. And that's kind of what our society has become. Like nobody wants to take responsibility or accountability of things. So it's just like, oh, I'll just, I'll do my part and just put it on Facebook. And then it doesn't get either followed up with, no one takes it credibly. There's not, you know, enough uh, information to act, act accurately, um, you know, investigate the lead or anything and nothing happens until something happens is, you know, how many times have we seen, you know, Oh, well this, this kid posted this before he went on this mass shooting spree or this kid did this, or we knew that he was going to do this and, you know, but nobody acts on it because it's always like, Oh, you know, I'll just kick it out. You know, I'll kick the ball down the field and let somebody else deal with it. So that kind of jumped out at me is that, you know, if you knew something was going to happen, whoever, whoever 
wrote that. They knew something was going to happen, but they didn't have the integrity or, or the strength or the courage to go to the police and say, dude, this is what's going to happen. You guys need to, need to, uh, to, to do something about it. So, yeah. Uh, you know, what's the Department of Homeland Security has that, uh, campaign, you know, if you see something, say something, um, somebody saw something here, they said something. Now, whether they got that said to the right people or not, whether it got to the people that needed to see that, I don't know. Um, but you know, it's not just about if you see something, say something, but also you need to do something. And obviously we, we have to be able to count on our, on our government, on our police in particular, if they get reports I hope that they are taking something like that seriously. I mean, this is a major event. You got a couple thousand people there. This was early, early in the morning. So it was fortunate in in that there's probably far less people at 2.50 a.m. than there would have been at, you know, at 1 p.m. or something, you know. And, and so, like, that was good. But still, it's got to be taken seriously. I don't know who got word what, about what, when. I'd like to know more on this, and I'll be keeping an eye on this story. Uh, because this this is a problem, you know. Like w- our goal is to try to prevent stuff like this, and the answer is not gun control. I mean, this happened in New Jersey, Trenton, New Jersey, of all places. They have strict gun control. This is committed by a gang member that likely don't doesn't give a crap what the state laws say about types of guns and ammo capacity and all this stuff, right? And so the way we might actually prevent something like this is when we learn of something in advance, we got to put a stop to that. Crazy. I don't know. This is just bizarre to me. Yeah. In a related story, at that art festival, and this is kind of a ironic twist of fate to a degree, the Moms Demand Action organization, a part of every town uh, uh USA or whatever that that organization is called now. It seems like they're always changing their names too, but Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America, they decided to set up a booth at this art festival, and they set that up right by the entrance to the festival. Ironically enough, they were there preaching their philosophies about gun control, which uh, are terrible philosophies. And uh, they happened to be there, you know, uh, they had their booth there on site when this shooting occurred. Um, It's just a bunch of of irony here, you know, that they're there to talk about, you know, how we need more gun control, which that state, New Jersey, just passed more of it. And ironically enough, a large, you know, uh, meaning that there's 22 people involved, uh, 17 of the 17 of them confirmed shot, uh, you know, as part of the incident. But that all happened right there as moms, moms demand action were demanding for more gun control. A little bit of irony. Now they typically it says here, according to this article, this is in, in GunFreeZone.net that quite often when they set up uh, booths or whatever that they 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 tend to do that at in what might be considered secure locations. Um, and I think you probably might look at an event like this. And I, I'm guessing this event was probably, you know, a gun-free zone. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet you they had a policy somewhere that said no guns, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll bet you they had security and or police officers present somewhere on site or near. You probably didn't have enough signs posted. That was the mm, thing. You know, I think you're onto something there. Yeah. Signs. More signs. Signage, mm-hmm. guys. <laughs> I don't mean to make light of it, but I mean, that's, this is what's so stupid about 
the anti-gunners agenda is that they think that signs and laws and all that will, you know, be, is the answer to preventing stuff like this happening. And, and it clearly didn't work right in front of them as they, as they, uh, campaigned against guns. So, uh, although I'm, I am sorry for them, you know, I, I'm sorry for everybody that's present in a shooting like that. Like that's scary oh, stuff, absolutely. you know, nobody should have to go through that, but, uh, I can't help but wonder if that had not been a gun-free zone and if it wasn't New Jersey and if, I mean, if this was Texas <laughs> or or whatever, you know, where like we had, we're going to share a justified save story here just in just a bit where, you know, the Walmart uh, situation where a concealed carrier put a stop to what could have been a much worse event. You know, like, could that have happened at this art festival? Could some law-abiding, responsible citizen that was carrying concealed, could they have potentially uh, stopped the this shooting, you know, uh, before it got worse than, it, than it, it ultimately did? Yeah, I think there's a chance that could have happened. Yeah. So, on to just a little bit of a discussion about gun-free zones. Uh, we know that in most cases, schools, particularly public K-12 through schools, are typically gun-free zones. Um, this is an article on NBCNews.com. Frankly, I was a little bit surprised to see this on there. And uh, this story is called Teachers and Guns Inside a Firearm Training Where Educators Learn to Take Down Shooters. Uh, not going to try to like go too much into detail on this. It's basically just a, an article. It, it's covering uh, an, an event in Newcomerstown, Ohio, uh, where several teachers were participating in uh, fast in the FASTER program training. Now, FASTER stands for Faculty Administrator Safety Training and Emergency Response. It's a pretty cool, you know, kind of active shooter type sort of training um, that's really geared towards educators. Um, this is FASTER is based in Ohio. Um, it's a nonprofit organization. They have taught since 2013 over 1,300 school staff members to carry and use firearms. Yeah, and, and what else is cool about it is that it is a nonprofit. It's not run by the government. So when we're always looking for the government to solve problems by passing legislation or enacting this or doing this, we we can solve a lot of problems ourselves through nonprofits and through um, you know training groups and and stuff like that. So uh, this is a, this is actually a really good program in Ohio. Um, I, I think it's great. There's, there's another program um, for civilians um, and, you know, the sheriff's departments puts those on and trains them how to respond to active shooters, um, things like that. But this is really good. And you don't have to wait for the, you know, the government to pass the laws and things like that. You know, train and, and, and actually find out what will work on the ground instead of people, you know, at Capitol Hill trying to discuss something that they, they have no idea. They're so far removed that they don't understand. Um, but one thing I want to point out, Riley, and, and I'm probably, you know, stealing this one from you, but this was, this was crazy to me. I liked the article. It was great. They presented it fairly, I think. Um, but this is, this is crazy. So one of the, one of the teachers um, is there, and this is, this is the statement from the teacher. My students are my kids, basically, and I want to be able to protect them just like I would protect my own son said a 34-year-old Ohio teacher of students with special needs who participated in the program and spoke on the condition of anonymity out of concern that by going public, 
she or her school could be targeted by a shooter. Now, I, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's weird that you would think that, you know, I totally understand. I, I applaud her for saying, you know, those kids are hers or, you know, basically her kids. She has to protect them. But like the idea that merely somebody getting training or, you know, carrying a firearm in, 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 a, in a classroom um, would make them a target of, you know, a school shooting. It, it, it kind of goes to the underlying message that like people are really, really paranoid about guns. Like the average person, even this per- this teacher who's willing to go out and get training and, and probably pro gun to a certain extent, um, they're, they're still like afraid that they're going to get shot up at school. And so it, it, there is a, a, a element I think that, that, it is the, the the media's fault with propagating a lot of the hysteria and, and constant, constant um, coverage of negative stories instead of good stories that make even program people a little bit like maybe they're on the edge, you know, or, or, or right down the middle of the road. And they, they're, they're scared too. I mean, they're, they're kind of uh, paranoid too about guns. Yeah. Well, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I am not going to judge this teacher for, uh, you know, like wanting to have some sort of like, you know, OPSEC. You no, know? not at all. Right. You know, like, cause like certainly, I mean, if she's going to be carrying a gun on a person at school, if that, if, she, if assuming she's allowed to do so at her school, um, I, I think it's probably best that no one at that school knows that she does, um, you know, because I, I think, I think that's, that's better for OPSEC, you know, operational security. Um, it's just the same reason I was sitting in a meeting last night where, uh, you know, a law enforcement representative was like, we're not going to talk. We're not going to talk publicly about our tactics and what we do to respond to an active shooter. You know, we're not going to give away our game plan, you know, like that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but on the flip side, like I hear what you're saying, because I mean, I, I just, I had a lay, a teacher in a concealed carry class not too long ago myself who, was very concerned about her. She, 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 her school, she can't carry concealed at school. She knows she can't. She would like to think that that might happen eventually, that she'd be able to do that. But her concern about people knowing that she was involved in this concealed carry class had a lot more to do with that. She didn't, you know, that she felt like she would be judged or uh, discriminated against or that people would, you know, threaten her or whatever because, you know, not because, um, it wasn't. It wasn't. Not, it wasn't an OPSEC thing. It was a. I'm going to be targeted uh, politically uh, because I'm pro gun and I'm pro concealed carry and I'm a teacher. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's what I, I was kind of getting more to. Not not so much yep. that. Yeah, I I totally agree in, in that. You know, people like to have their anonymity um, when it comes to guns, but it's it part of that is not t- total OPSEC part of that. And I get it from people that come through my concealed carry class and they're like, well, oh, I don't want my name, you know, don't take a picture or, or this and that. And part of that is just, you know, they're afraid that they're going to suffer some sort of yeah. retribution. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally, totally on board with yeah. the, with OPSEC type uh, discussion. Yeah. 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 So um, I think this is cool though. I mean, I think faster is a great program. Um, there's a number of other similar programs out there. I mean, there's, uh, the Kentucky post program, which is similar, which is a curriculum for teachers and and administrators, uh, much in a similar fashion. Um, there's, uh, uh, what's the other 
Uh, Alice Training would be kind of another mm-hmm. similar type program. Uh, these are all good, worthwhile programs, and I, I love seeing more of this happening. I, I appreciate NBC News for providing, like you said, it was fairly, I think, fairly good coverage of this particular class and of this of this issue in in Ohio. There, I, I was shocked actually when I saw what, what the source of this article was. I, I couldn't believe it. Um, I would say all of us can do a lot better. We can all seek out more training and do our part to be better prepared. Um, yeah, because we we don't know when the when the when the stuff's going to go down, and we need mm. to be ready, ready to respond, ready to react. By the way, just a little note: um, I noticed that uh, they have these cardboard backers on their targets in one of these images in this article, and I'm fairly confident that that is an NRA, you know, official, what is it? I think the B28 target. <laughs> uh, and, and it, it, it would be very small, but I'm pretty sure that has the NRA logo or something in that corner. And they've, they've fuzzed out that part of the image. <laughs> Way to go. NBC. The NRA is a bad word. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, we're, we're I, I'm just, thrilled to see that there are people taking you know responsibility for themselves and getting training like this and maybe there's there's district or or whatever is pushing it that's cool too but the fact is is i, I think the way most of these programs work and the, the best way that they work is that the people that participate are volunteers and also i think the, the best way for this sort of thing to work is that we we have relative anonymity within the school system as to who is carrying a gun and who's trained uh so that they uh, have that operational security, so they they you know no one knows who's got what. Um, mm-hmm. Utah, I think, has been such a great model. There's zero, like virtually no structure to the way concealed carry law in Utah works, particularly in schools, because according to their law, the school district itself administrators are not even allowed to know. They're not even allowed to ask teachers who has a permit and or who is carrying a gun on campus. I think that's remarkable. Now, most schools, most school districts, most states are going to want to have some sort of training requirement involved. I get that. I just think it's amazing that that's the way Utah is set up. Utah's had zero school shootings, you know, mass shootings uh, at a school or on a school property in the last 15 years, which has been, you know, the time frame that this law has existed there. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's awesome. So, anyway... Hopefully, we'll see more more of this going on in other states and other school districts around the country. Shifting gears now over to Snopes in the news. Recently, I saw, and I saw this image uh, on social media somewhere, and it, it, many of you may have seen this image as well. The image, and I'll go ahead and see if I can share my screen here. The image is of a poster that someone is holding at an anti-gun rally, and it's got a big black splotch in the center of it, and it says, this is the size of a hole made by an AR-15. Tell me again why you need that. <laughs> maybe, and, an, maybe an AR with like a 203 attachment. And they fired like, with a you know. <laughs> a grenade launcher, know. yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, first of all, is it possible for an AR-15 to make a hole that size? Maybe it's possible if you're using a hollow point round that expanded effectively and it passed all the way through the exit side of the wound might be that big. Okay, that's possibility. 
All right. That's, that's fair to say, I think, actually. But I don't think that's the way these people were thinking of it. Um, cause I think they're completely uneducated to begin with, but the, the, what's great is there's this image here on the left and someone else, you know, posted this essentially as, as some sort of meme. And, uh, this individual M a Rothman on Facebook says the one on the right is my son after target practice with an AR 15. The one on the left is a lying moron that doesn't know the first thing about guns or our rights as citizens. And so you see the image of this son of this person with you know like 30 holes in this target paper and they're all like little tiny you know they're they're 22 caliber size holes <laughs> it's a great uh graphic to show this is bs you know on the other side here um so snopes apparently picked this up the site that you know supposedly fact checks uh various things found on the internet and I, I don't, we don't have the time to go through all the detail here, but basically what Snopes writes here is a bunch of bull <laughs> uh, to a degree. There, there are, there is some truth in it. You know, they, they touch on how temporary cavity inside, you know, a wound channel, um, you know, is temporarily quite large. Um, that is definitely true in the case of a high velocity round from an AR, AR you know, platform rifle, uh, you are going to have a, a pretty small entrance hole and then a very large, relatively speaking, temporary cavity. So where flesh and tissue and fluids and things are temporarily, you know, pushed out of the way uh, from the impact of that round, it's, it's coming through so quickly. And then, the, you know, the whole point to that is that it's a temporary cavity, meaning it closes back down relatively quickly. The bullet continues to pass on through it might tumble, it might fragment, it might expand, it might cause other damage along the, the way. But um, so that that's technically true. But here's where I see the fallacy in the argument, guys. I see the fallacy in that we're so focused on the AR-15 platform as a society and as a as a uh, media. Okay, it's thinking that it's so high powered that it's this high powered instrument that there's nothing else on the earth like it, and we've got to outlaw this one particular so-called assault weapon. And this assault weapon causes these massive holes. And you don't need, you don't have a need for that. And I'm thinking, hmm, boy, I've got some things in the gun safe right over there that make much bigger holes with yeah. soft point or jacketed hollow point ammunition. Hunting rifles, I've got a 7mm that will make a very large hole if it exits <laughs> on a large animal you know that and that that's somewhat like i'm not trying to damage meat necessarily right but like you <laughs> want bullets that if you're a hunter you want a bullet that expands and causes a, a fair amount of damage because you're trying to take an animal in a uh, uh i was gonna say justify because we always talk so much about justified situations in a what's the word ethical way there we go <laughs> uh and and so yeah i mean like but that's that's the fallacy that i see here matthew is that yeah the ar-15 is not that high powered compared to like we could you know what we had a school shooting a few years ago here in the littleton area in the columbine littleton area um the the, the deer, was it deer creek middle school or something like that uh, it was like 2013 i think or somewhere around that time frame and uh it was a gentleman that showed up on campus on the outside of campus, and he was using a hunting rifle. And two students were shot. I believe they both uh, came through that. Um, a gentleman tackled um, the shooter, 
and uh, I've had the pleasure of meeting him uh, in just the last uh, in recent uh, couple of weeks. Uh, a true hero. Um, yeah. So anyway, w- what's your take, Matthew? Yeah. No. I, I was. I was actually. I agree with you totally. And I, I was reading the the comments. Um, Ghost Tactical says they worry about the entry holes of ARs, um, but they're okay with the forty four mag. So it's like <laughs> that's exactly what you're saying. You know, it, it, that's. It, 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 and it kind of underscores what I'm talking about as far as this, this insane amount of um, fear that they try to put in, in, into everything associated with the firearm. And even when it's, you know, firearms, yes, they're dangerous. I mean, we wouldn't have safety rules if they weren't dangerous, um, but they're a tool. They're no, you know, so it, the fact that they have to make these crazy ghost you know statements about ghost guns statements about fully semi-automatic uh assault weapons military grade side you know you know entry wounds the size of you know a basketball and things like that it's just it goes to show that any any effort they can put into dramatizing it and scaring the average person who might not know better um they're doing it And, and it's effective because most people see that and they're not going to, they're, they're, they might even go to Snopes and be like, Oh, is this true? And it's, Oh, it's mostly true. Well, yep, there it goes. I mean, that's <laughs> so, so it's like, you know, and all on all, all cylinders are firing through the media, through legislators, through TV activism, all this stuff to wherever you look to inundate you with these grotesque images of, of firearms that are not even true. And it's like, um, it's just disingenuous uh, to say the least. So, totally, you know, I don't know if that person believed that or if it's just a lie, you know, that they know it's a lie and they just say, I'll do it anyways. But I'm guessing they probably don't even know. They probably saw it from someone else and thought, Hey, this is a good, this is a good impact. I think it's both, man. You know, I think there's people on that side, on the anti-gun side that, uh, that intentionally tell lies. And I think there are many sheep on that side that just go along with it. You know, that just believe Mm -hmm. what they're told um, and that they don't know what they're talking about. I think it's both. Um, Yeah. You know, but to be fair, um, even though I think on the other side, they, they probably tend to blow things out of proportion more often and tend to lie about things more. um, I, we sometimes see it on the pro gun side too. People kind of, you know, exaggerate things or get a little bit carried away with, uh, you know, trying to make their case as far as you know, why why we should have guns or why we you know need to be uh, more pro gun or whatever it is. Um, and we've been, I think, pretty consistent on the podcast of calling people out like that when we see things that on the pro gun side that are, you know, not fair or not appropriate. Like I call that stuff out because that doesn't do anybody any favors. You know, we want to have intelligent, well-reasoned debates. We want to present the facts. Uh, that's 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 a better way to win this battle. You know, for gun rights, is to be intelligent, to be articulate, to be factual. Um, and what we saw there, I think, I mean, it, that image is just not. It, it's not fair, you know, like they want what I think it is. It is misleading regardless of which way you look at it. I mean, you could argue, well, it could make holes that big, whatever, but it's, it's really intended just to 
it's like the shock factor. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, they're really appealing to their masses, to those that are more likely or more inclined to go along with what they see as common sense gun control by saying, look, this rifle causes holes this big. Why would you need that? And right. And you think that the, that the kids that they're targeting or that, that are, you know, hoping sees this, see this stuff like, you know, middle school kids are under most middle school kids probably don't have the knowledge about entry and exit wounds and things like that. Right. Unless they grew up around guns, but most kids are going to see that. And then they're going to say, see, and this is why you're not safe in your own school. So they're building this level of fear and anxiety and saying kids shouldn't have to be scared at school. But then they're the ones that are propagating this, this idea that every kid is in danger of having a basketball size hole ripped through their, you know, their body um, and the only way to combat that is to put up a sign outside the door to say, can't, you can't come in here with a gun. And it's yeah. just, it, it's just, it, it, it's just disingenuous. It's, it's sad to tell you the truth. Yep. Got to move on now. Um, so there's an article here, uh, that if you open it up, you'll just see in big, all caps, the word triggered, which of course is, uh, Become, it's become quite the trigger word <laughs> in our society mm-hmm. th- these days. Um, people refer to being triggered. And, of course, a lot of times on the pro-gun side of the debate, uh, you see people use this in sort of a joking uh, manner. Um, and I think sometimes very appropriately, I might add. This is an interesting article. So I came across this on social media, and it, it wasn't very clear based on the post that I was reading as to what this was really about. And at first, I was kind of hoping that this was some high school students that were going to say, you know, we need to stand up for gun rights. And it turns out to be kind of the opposite. So um, I'm not sure what they're really trying to get at with this buzzword triggered. Um, but if you start out reading this, what, what becomes clear is that, and you know what, I kind of... I somewhat applaud these kids. I mean, I applaud them in in that they solved a problem that they had there in their school. There's these, there's six of them. It says and it actually starts out saying there are six of us. We are students of a Texas high school. Then they say we are Democrats and Republicans. We know that there are 54 entrances in our school. We're angry and tired and scared. Though we disagree on many topics, we are united on change. We are also reporters for our school newspaper, but our school administration heavily censors and limits what we are allowed to write, publish, and post. We cannot write about things like tattoos, pregnancy, assault, bullying, or in this case, school shootings and gun violence. It is for this reason we have bound together outside the confines of our school and out of reach of our administration to write this. So it's on that point that I applaud these six students because they write for their school newspaper, which is heavily censored. And that's actually pretty typical. Most school papers, uh, that, so that could be a whole other debate, whether that's appropriate or not appropriate. Um, but, and that's not what we're talking about here. They chose to go outside of that create this this website and it likely is a free website the the link here is triggeredarticle.weebly.com that usually indicates i mean it's not a 
a unique URL and that it's not a it's not triggered article.com it's triggered it's it's hosted on weebly's.com uh, uh, under that under that name so that's typically an indicator of like a free website so kudos to them they they saw a problem they wanted to share their opinion and get it out there and to do that they created their own uh, web page to do that awesome except that that's kind of about all the awesome there that or that's all, that's about all the awesome that there is in this article because from there it kind of goes downhill because they start to just sort of regurgitate a lot of the same anti-gun proposals that we keep hearing that are all deemed as being common sense. What are some of those according to these kids? Uh, they say that, uh, uh, you know, we, we should have, well, and they point out to a 2017 Gallup poll and I'm familiar with that poll. I th- think we might've even covered it on the podcast. Uh, where it says 75% of people in the United States uh, were in favor of a 30-day waiting period on purchases of guns. I'm not convinced that that's true. 70% want all privately owned guns to be registered with police. I seriously doubt that as well. Uh, We can all agree that something can be and should be done to prevent future tragedies from occurring. Uh, blah, 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 a bunch of other stuff. They talk about, you know, basically, I think the, a little further down, they touch on uh, uh, the assault weapons ban, how that needs to be brought back. Uh, they state some so-called statistics where when we passed the assault weapons ban in 1994, uh, that, that we saw a reduction by 37% of mass shootings totaling six or more deaths. Okay, and thus that assault weapons ban was responsible for that. Um, they even get into and and this is uh, something else that I'm gonna I, I almost have to hold back a little bit, but I'm, I don't know if I can. They touch on Japan, where they say it's illegal to open a handgun, and actually it's illegal to own really any gun in Japan. In order to obtain weapons in Japan, civilians must take a training course. They must then pass several tests, including mental, drug, and background tests. And every three years, they must retake these courses and tests to maintain their license. Japan has one of the lowest homicide rates in the world of 1 in 10 million. In America, that rate is 5 in 100,000. Similarly, after 13 mass shootings from 79 to 96, Australians tightened gun laws and now require citizens to show documented proof of a genuine need for a gun. So they're implying that we should follow course you know, that Japan and Australia and elsewhere, uh, typically European countries, have, have gone. Here's what I will say, and and I, then I want to turn it over to you, Matthew, because I've been blabbing on too long. <laughs> <clears throat> I lived in Japan. I spent a couple of years over there. And it's true that weapons are, are few and far in between as far as, especially on the, on the firearm side of things. Um, knives are still prevalent. Swords are definitely prevalent, uh, to an extent. Um, airsoft's very popular over there because they can't have real guns. And I think that's one way that some of the probably gun enthusiasts, uh, satisfy, satisfy that itch a little bit is they will shoot airsoft and they have, they have good fun with that. That's cool. You know, whatever, like you got to do what you got to do in a country where things are just, you know, totally outlawed. But I'm not convinced that, uh, that's a fair comparison to make. Okay. There's way more variables at play as to why there are differences here in the U S as compared to Japan or even Australia. 
And I would say having lived there for a couple of years, which I doubt any one of these high school students have ever done, that the culture there is totally different. It is night and day different. Uh, the way they think of their society, of their communities, totally different. Japanese people, I don't, I don't want to say this in a negative way, but it's kind of the truth. They're indoctrinated from a young age, from, the, from, a, from a, a baby, all the way through grade school, all the way through high school. They are indoctrinated with a culture, and it's a unique culture. And part of that culture is that they really, truly value their communities, and they, that's a, a very, it's a big deal to them. Like, community is big. They really have kind of this big picture sort of, like, you know, it, the village raises the child sort of attitude. Kids will walk to school from a very young age, and, like, people are cool with that. They trust that. Like, they don't, like, that kid's not going to get abducted. Like, you know, people in the neighborhood are watching that child. Like, people take responsibility, not just for themselves, but they take responsibility for their neighbors. Like, so culturally, it's, it's, and I, I think that's pretty awesome. There's also some things about Japan I don't necessarily care for. But, like, there's definitely some things that we could probably learn from that. I think our country here, we've gotten kind of away from, you know, that kind of like 1950s attitude of, you know, of what a neighborhood looks like because we're so engrossed in our technology and TV and social media and all this stuff. And that's true over there too. And by the way, Japan has its own unique problems. They have a serious problem with suicide. Um, the unique thing there is that they tend not to try to take others out. They just take themselves out. And that, I don't know, there's probably some psychology that explains why that is and why it's different from here in the U.S. Here's another thing, too. Japan is a flipping island, dude. Like, you, you can outlaw things in a country like Japan, and it's pretty hard to sneak more of that stuff into that country. Right? Because yeah, you got to fly it, it in, most likely. Especially if, if it, you know, if you can't put up a, a wall to keep out, if, if somebody illegally can just walk across a river and be in your, your country, then it's much easier to smuggle things in rather than, you know, you're surrounded by a, an, an ocean, right? Yeah. There are, there now, are, Christopher actually says right here, he was, I wasn't looking at comments for several minutes and he says here, Australia and Japan are also isolated by water. Yeah. I mean, that, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, like, um, we could outlaw completely guns here in the U.S. and confiscate them all and take them all away. And guess what? They would still find their way into our country, and they'd probably find their way over the southern border. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, you know because we're Americans and we're we're kind of rebellious and we have technology, we'd probably make some more too. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I want to I want to address one thing yeah. that you mentioned about this. And it, it always it's always a problem with me or it's always something that I, I just hate this argument. Okay. So the argument is, well, 70% of, of people are in favor of, you know, either background checks or, or whatever, um, waiting periods and things like that. So that's an argument, right? That's the argument that people make. Well, 70%, look at this poll, look at that poll. I don't care if 70% of anybody believes in certain in something. If it's if it's anti to the constitution, if it's anti to our current laws, then it, you don't just get to change it because 75 if 75% believe that, you know, Nazism should be coming back, should we say, well, 
We got to do it. 70%. We took a poll. 70% of, uh, of America believes in this. 70% of, you know, Americans believe in, uh, let's say, you know, late-term abortion. So let's, let's make abortion legal. That's not how it works. Yep. So, so when you make a, 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 an argument for something by saying, well, see, all these other people believe it, so you should believe it too. That's the, that's the mark that they don't have a good argument, that their argument is bogus because they're not arguing facts to support their argument. They're arguing, well, just go along with the crowd. Just go along with it. That's not how it works. And, and you know, if I, if I start changing my opinion because, oh, 70%, 51% believe it, I have to go along with it. Then where do my where do my morals or where do my you know where's my direction coming from? Just the whim of the the populace? That's not how it works. Yeah, I'm still not convinced those numbers are even even accurate. Here's the thing: I think because we see it all all the time. Like if the if the polls are accurate, right? Then when we have const you know like state constitutional initiatives, you know like votes where like. The whole state votes on an issue. Um, it should pass. Like we see that all the time. Like in California, they barely got some stuff through a few years ago, where you know it was barely like it was like fifty-one to forty-nine or fifty-two to forty-eight. Like, like, and that's in a pretty liberal state. Um, it, I just don't buy these polls. I, I I don't know if there's something about the way the questions are worded that that are misleading. Uh, I, I don't know, but it just I just don't buy it because if that's true, then why don't we get a freaking constitutional convention put together and change the constitution? And I'll tell you what, I'm absolutely confident, at least right now, boy, I sure hope to say that this doesn't change, you know, sometime in the future, but I'm confident right now, if we were trying to, to organize a constitutional convention, that we would not have 70 to 75% of the people of the states saying, yep, we're cool with that. Yep, let's change that. Let's get rid of that Second Amendment. I'm confident that's not going to happen. Yeah, no. So way. I, 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 you know, yeah, I, I don't even pay attention to to stupid polls like that that they pull out trying to appeal to people's emotions, especially. And that that's exactly what that is. That's also even though you're using statistics and numbers, it's still becoming a, an emotional type argument because it's like, well, look, all the cool kids on the block say this is what we should be doing. Like, it, you know, it's it's all about like trying to get mass consensus and make people feel like, oh yeah, all right, that's where the country's going. I want to, I want to be on that bandwagon and not a losing side, right? Yeah. And those polls, I, I just don't, I don't think they're right. I don't think they're accurate at all. I don't know. And Gallup, I mean, geez, they put out other polls that I think, I, I think are probably pretty good polls. I don't know where they're missing the boat though, where it comes to those gun related polls. I don't know. Uh, maybe some of our viewers and listeners uh, ha have an idea. I don't know. I mean, Ghost Tactical is saying, yeah, he says if 70% truly believed in gun control, they would have no problem passing these bills in Congress. Exactly. There would be no problem. It, it, it just doesn't, something doesn't add up there. So, you know, I'm, I'm sad to say, I mean, I applaud these kids for, for doing something that I think is pretty remarkable, that they see a problem, they, they, they can't get their voice out the way they want to, so they solve that by going around the system. All right, cool. Like, that's what we do in America. You know, we see problems, we solve those problems. Um, but I'm sad that they've been indoctrinated, you know, uh, that they've bought into uh, the lies uh, as far as, you know, needing to have so-called common sense gun legislation passed in this country. Um. Uh, yeah, and we've beat this over and over and over again as far as the specific issues. 
Um, so we're not going to go down that boat, uh, down that road any further here, but just wanted to kind of, I thought this article was interesting and it gives you a little bit of a look inside of where some of our students, you know, where their minds are. And I know, you know, opposite of these kids, there are many other students that are also saying something completely opposite where they're saying, no, this is not the answer. You know, that, that article, by the way, mentioned that they feel like they're the adults and their communities are failing them by not protecting them, by not implementing gun control. And I'm thinking, no, I think we're failing you because we don't put frickin' teachers in schools with guns that are trained. Like, because that's, that honestly, the one of the easiest solutions, and it's not the only solution, and it's not the only thing we should be looking at. It's got to be comprehensive, and it's got to be multi-layered. You know, all these changes that we could be making to school safety and security multi-layered, multifaceted. There's a lot of different options out there. A lot of things that we can and should be doing. But one of the easiest solutions that could be implemented tomorrow with virtually zero cost affecting the bottom lines of school districts' budgets would be to allow the teachers and administrators and the staff, qualified staff, with maybe perhaps some minimal amount of training, whatever number. I mean, don't go Florida. Don't don't go that route. They They... That standard is way too high, in my opinion, uh, unnecessarily high. Within like three years of training before, <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. It's like 152 hours or something. Um, that's that's a huge burden on those teachers. I feel bad for them. I'm sure there will be some that will get through that, but that that great sacrifice probably to themselves as far as their own time and budgets uh, personally. But uh, <laughs> that's where I I say, how come you kids don't see that? I I, to me, that's where I see a great failure because pol- we, politically we go, you know, th- the other side's like, no way can we have guns in schools. Come on. Like, that's insane. That's not common sense at all. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think it's one of the most common sense things we could do. Almost everything else we look at, Matthew, costs substantial, you know, like, gobs of money. And, like, one of the most simplest and cheapest solutions we're not willing to put on the table in debate. You know what? You know what? I it, something just popped in my head when you were say, when you said that. It's not you know anti gun people think that putting a, a trained person or somebody with a concealed handgun license in a school is not common sense. I think it's because they believe that gun owners don't have common sense. They <laughs> they think everybody that owns a firearm or has a firearm is you know messed up in the head or has some sort of ego problem or, or anger management issues, if they understood that how many people, if they knew how many people carry firearms every day, normal people, mothers, fathers, you know, clergy, people that are totally respected and, you know, smart and well-rounded and can handle their ma- their anger and everything. If they knew that, maybe they would they wouldn't be so quick to say any person who has a firearm in a school is not common sense because they, they trust police. So what's the, what's the disconnect between, you know, a, a, a resource officer and some, an, a citizen who has, you know, passed training or, or trains regularly. What's the difference? Is it the amount of training or is it just that they don't have a badge? I, I, I'm trying to like understand. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Um, yeah, we we got to move on. Yeah, Thank sorry. you, Matthew. No, I'm, I'm I'm sorry, dude. Like I'm I'm kind of just uh, <laughs> really frustrated. Uh, you know, reading and hearing some of this stuff. 
First justified save story today. Robber killed in exchange of gunfire with store clerk. This happened in Macomb, Mississippi. A suspected robber was killed Monday after exchanging gunfire with a store clerk. Uh, the robbery was reported at 9.40 p.m. at the Bigner's gas station on Presley Boulevard in Macomb, Mississippi. A man wearing black hooded t-shirt, uh, sweatshirt and waving a small caliber handgun tried to rob the store. At gunpoint, the man forced a female clerk he encountered at the back door inside and then pointed the gun at a store clerk behind the register. The man and one of the clerks began shooting at each other until the suspect ran outside. The witness saw the man stop in the area of West Presley Boulevard and Witterman Street where he collapsed. Officers found Savayon Harvey, age 21, of Macomb, dead in the road. Boy, he didn't get far, did he? No. Boy, uh, these these sorts of things are just crazy. You know, a store clerk just minding their own business, just trying to work, make minimum wage, whatever. Dude comes in, holds him up, and next thing you know, I mean... Uh, Shootout ensues, and and fortunately for the store clerk, they they emerged victorious. Uh, I'd love to see some uh, surveillance video on this one. Um, you know, th- this kind of stuff. Like we just we have no sense for how this played out, how it went down. You know, how did the store clerk draw that firearm? You know, did they, did they look for an opportunity? Did they did they, did they just react? Um, did they bother to use cover at all? I don't know, but 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 I would love to know. Yeah. And the, the concept that, you know, well, most most robberies, you know, the gun either doesn't work or it's not loaded or it's a toy gun. Well, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet my life on that. And obviously it's not always the fa- uh, always the uh, the case. So good. Good on this guy for protecting uh, himself and the female employee against uh, somebody who apparently, you know, was willing to kill somebody for whatever cash that they could get out of a cash register. Yeah. Well, it didn't end well for that robber, and that's uh, that's a hard lesson they got to learn. And I got to hope too that other robbers see stories like that and go, "Ooh, dang!" You know, maybe I better think twice. Uh, especially as more and more people carry concealed and actually take their safety seriously. And I think that is still an upward trend. Things haven't been moving as quickly, I don't think, recently. Uh, but I do think that. You know, overall, we're still seeing an upward trend in people that are getting permits, that are getting training, that are taking it seriously. Um, And yes, even the store clerks. The Toledo Blade reports an axe-wielding man attacking a woman inside a pickup truck was shot and killed by a neighbor who intervened. This happened in South Toledo. I believe this is Ohio. Um... Lieutenant Kevin Tony said, this is of the uh, Toledo Police Department, said the shooter told police he saw the man strike a woman with an axe or hatchet inside a vehicle. Shortly after noon Wednesday, the neighbor intervened and shot the man. The woman, it was a 59-year-old man, the woman was 53 years old. She, she suffered multiple cuts. She later received treatment for her injuries. <clears throat> the man attacked the woman with a hatchet. When Benjamin Hand, a nearby resident, witnessed the assault taking place, Mr. Hand then shot the assailant. The, the assailant was uh, transported to a hospital where he was pronounced dead a short time later. Uh, he had suffered at least one gunshot wound to his shoulder. Now, these sorts of stories, I think, are just crazy, Matthew, because crazy in that, number one, like this is, you know, man attacking a woman with a hatchet outside somewhere. She's inside a vehicle, like just, that's a crazy picture. And then you got a third party that is somewhere in the area and goes, whoa, 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 what's going on here, right? And like within seconds has to recognize correctly 
and accurately that something bad is happening to somebody and mm, maybe I should try to do something to intervene. And not everybody is going to be able or willing to intervene. This person was, and they still got to make that decision, I am going to intervene. And I under, I understand the situation well enough that I believe that this is the aggressor, and this is the vict- victim, and this is who I've got to shoot. Whew. Yeah, which isn't always easy. I mean, it's it's we talk about it all the time, all the stories that we talk about that involve intervening on somebody else's behalf, especially not, not a family member, you know, but somebody, a stranger's behalf, they're always the hardest to analyze and because you really have to understand and make that decision that, Hey, am I looking if, what am I looking at? You know, is it really victim and suspect or are they both, you know, mutual combatants, even though this guy has a hatchet, maybe she's got a knife and she's stabbing him and I just can't see. So it's, it's really, it's always like a tricky, tricky thing. Um, apparently in this situation, you know, um, he's cooperating and doesn't seem like he's going to be, you know, arrested. At least it didn't seem like that from the, from the information we had, we missed, you know, we don't have a lot. We don't know that the relationship between the two, the, you know, the victim and the suspect in this. Um, but, you know, it's just these types of situations. I mean, think about it. What if, you know, maybe that guy was waiting on his background check to clear his waiting period before he could purchase a firearm? Well, we don't have a background or waiting period in uh, in Ohio, but I'm being sar- sarcastic. I mean, obviously you can inflict damage on people without a firearm. This person had a, had a hatchet and, you know, so luckily this guy was there, you know, who knows what would have happened. And, uh, and I guess, you know, hopefully more facts come out about the story because there's a, there's a big hole in there, right? We get like the beginning and the end and there's a big hole about what happened in between. Totally. But still a remarkable story nonetheless. And a reminder, I mean, like how many of you are actually carrying, well, I hope it's a high percentage of our podcast listeners because they've probably heard the, 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 um, what's the word? (laughs) I'm having a struggle today, man. They probably heard the, me preaching from the pulpit on this very subject many times, uh, you know, about how many of you are carrying right now at home, as you are at home listening or watching the podcast, you carrying right now, you know, like, I hope so. Because you, thing is, we, we never know when stuff's going to go down. And statistically speaking, most of you are more likely to have something happen to you at or around your home than at the grocery store or at the gas station or at the bank or at your workplace. Statistically speaking, it's more likely going to happen to you at home. And this neighbor, fortunately, I I don't know, I have to assume that he was armed on his person at his home because judging by the the, the nature of this attack, a, a, a hatchet or an axe being used against a woman, a defenseless person, it's not going to take many seconds for uh, a, one of those strikes to be lethal, right? So this guy doesn't have time to, re- to to run to a safe and retrieve a gun, right? So I hope you have. I, I hope you're carrying right now. Every single one of you. I know I am. I know Matthew is. I'm hearing a bunch of safes to open up like across <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> Uh, I'm confident our podcast listeners know know already what to do. All right, next story. Uh, This is the first of two like even crazier stories. Uh, That last one was pretty good. It gets better from here on out. 
DeKalb County, Georgia. Couple fends off trio of armed suspects inside DeKalb County, Kroger. This happened on Friday afternoon this past week. Three suspects, this is how it goes down. Three dudes follow a couple, a man and a wife, going into a Kroger store. And by the way, Kroger, didn't they just like recently announce their kind of, well, I know what it was. They took gun-related magazines off their magazine shelves. Right. They didn't, you know, become a gun-free zone, only except that they don't allow gun magazines. Stupid. Anyway, so these this couple, this married couple is going into this store. Three men follow them in, and some sort of altercation happens within the, the store. And by all reports, there's no relationship between these three suspects and this couple. Okay. No one knows yet exactly why they were targeting this couple, except that maybe they were trying to rob them or carjack them or something along those lines. But the story is very confusing as far as what the motive might have been, other than we just know it's it appears to be random. Okay, three guys that don't know a guy and a woman, and they decide to follow them and attack them inside the store. The couple, this is what's amazing to me, Matthew. It says in story after story after story that the couple defended themselves, that shots were exchanged, that essentially the the man and woman draw their guns and exchange shots with these three suspects, and that that gunfight ends up outside the store, and that they wound two out of the three suspects. In other words, they successfully defend themselves. No other innocent bystanders, although it did say in one report and in another, it didn't say anything about it. So I'm not sure what happened there exactly. But as far as we know, like the couple didn't hurt anybody else. I don't know. It's a little bit unclear in that area, but we just know we got three bad guys. Two of them are injured. They've been shot. Uh, I believe there's no deaths. The couple, you know, like I said, successfully defended themselves. Crazy story playing out there in DeKalb County. Uh, Georgia, what's yeah, your take, man? What do you re- what do, what do you read into this? Yeah, the the one statement that they made were um, th- they say right now police believe the people shot were actually alleged suspects who had been targeting a couple who were who was in the store to shop. So for some reason they might have looked at you know surveillance and and picked up that these that maybe the, this group of three were following these two people throughout the store and maybe I, I'm guessing. Or I'd like to think that maybe these two, uh, husband, wife, wh- whatever the relationship, um, they're saying, you know, hey, something's up with these three people. Let's, you know, let's get out of here. Maybe they go pay for the groceries and if and get away from other people and get out to our car and try to get out of here. And if something goes down, I'd rather be outside instead of in the store. So they get out of the, uh, you know, and then they see, hey, we're in the parking lot and these people are still coming. And hopefully they're kind of like, gaming the system as they walk out and saying, Hey, something's going to go down. Like I can already tell you something's going to go down and they're kind of formulating it, maybe a tactical response to, you know, positioning themselves as they come out, which lends, lends them to be able to, um, adequately, you know, overcome three attackers when they have two, you know, who have, who are armed when, you know, their numbers are two, maybe the, as they're walking out, they're saying, Hey, let's split up. Let's do this. Let's get on, you know, use these, these cars or whatnot. Um, so they're not the ones that are caught off guard. 
Um, so I would, I would, you know, in my head, that's how it's going because I'm putting myself and my wife in this situation yeah. as we're walking on. I'm saying, Hey, these, you, you see these three dudes, they've been following us. Well, you know, this is what we're going to do. So, um, maybe that's what went down. I don't know. But for some reason they seem to know that they were being targeted. Yeah. I don't know if the couple knew, but the police certainly seemed to know that they were being targeted. There was something about it, but yeah, <laughs> it's crazy, man. You know I mean? So Ghost Tactical here comments, uh, not only did they defend themselves, but it seems like they defused the situation by taking it outside. I may be missing some of the story. And I agree there that we, I think we're just missing all kinds of details here. Uh, and, and that's a challenge with you know doing so much uh, like, like this that we do on the podcast. We, we're so often just working from news stories and the reporting is lackluster and the details are few and scarce. And sometimes that's out of necessity. I mean, with ongoing investigations, police are just not going to release certain details, you know, so like I, I, I get it, but it's a challenge for us, obviously reporting on it. Um, I think of it in this way, in that how many of you as couples are armed and prepared, uh, you know, that's, it's one thing to be just worried about yourself and, and take care of yourself, but you got someone else too with you. Is that other person ready also? Are they also prepared? Uh, are they a liability to you? Is it, is it, you know, as far as, you know, is that just one more person you got to be concerned with protecting? I don't know. Like that's, these are all questions you got to answer for yourselves. I'll tell you one thing. I would be a lot more intimidated, you know, being by myself and having three armed gunmen to deal with. And I'd feel a lot better about having a partner, <laughs> you know, that's also trained and ready. Uh, you know, two on three feels a lot better than one on three. Uh, mm -hmm. Not to say that you still couldn't prevail. I mean, there's plenty of instances where that happens, but one on, I mean, this clearly it seemed to me was a, as was a prolonged gunfight of some sort because it was. It's a large crime scene. One of the witnesses talks about how one of the bad guys took cover behind her car, and her car got struck by bullets. Um, you know, as a result of of that gunfight happening somewhere around her, and she later, you know, drove her car out of the area. Good for her. You know, that had to have been pretty pretty scary. Uh, so yeah, I mean, one on and, three and this, is this is pretty 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 scary. Two on three, a little bit better. And in, in this always goes, you know, I always read the, the comments like, well, if I need 15 rounds, then obviously I'm not doing something right. I only need one shot that, you know, and so it's very narrow minded or, or, you know, not it's not really understanding the complexity and the realist, the realism that comes with being involved in an armed confrontation. Maybe one person, one shot does it. I don't know. But the fact that you're putting all your eggs in the basket that one shot is going to do that, you know, uh, incapacitate the, the threat. Um, so I'm only going to carry five rounds and that's all I'm going to carry. And I, you know, if you carry more, you're, you're insane or you're not a good shoot or a good shot, then you're, you're missing out on, on a lot of uh, thought process that should be going into your, your defensive tactics and defensive training. Yeah. You know, so about that, statistically speaking, right. Like the, the likelihood of you needing more than a couple of shots, statistically speaking, is not that likely, right? Right. Um, it, it, it comes down to, I mean, being prepared for the, more, more, the most likely situations, but also being prepared for the situations that you want to be prepared for. For instance, what I mean by that, let me expound just a little bit. <clears throat> um, 
I might look at things and go, okay, statistically speaking, I need five shots or less. A simple five-shot revolver will do for a big percentage of gunfights, probably 80-plus percent sure. gunfights. I'm good with a five-shot revolver. Awesome. Cool. Great. Guess what? Are you prepared to engage and deal with an active shooter? That's a whole other question. And I would say, because you don't know how an active shooter situation is going to play out, I don't think you're prepared with a five-shot revolver or a five or six-shot anything, okay? Because you just don't know. Like, that's that's way too complex of a scenario, and there's way too many uh, way too many possibilities, you know, variables that you cannot control or perfectly plan for in advance to... <laughs> So in my in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I might be more concerned with just defending myself in one particular type of situation, which might be 80% of situations. And in that case, three to five yards or less and three to five shots tops. That's all I need. I'm good. Do you want to be prepared in case you're in a, an active shooting event? That's a question to answer. And if you do want to be pre- prepared for an event like that, then the answer has to be, in my opinion, I think you need to at least consider, I mean, the likelihood of that happening to you is very slim. It's very small. The likelihood of any one of us being in an active shooter event is infinitesimal. It's like it's a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction, right? But is that chance still there? Sure. Most people might not be concerned with that type of situation. That's fine. Most people might not even necessarily be prepared in terms of shooting skill. Because I think in an active shooter situation, you might need to have, you know, the the need for greater accuracy at greater distances as you're trying to counter an active shooter, and it might be over a larger area or more open space inside of a, a mall, inside of a school, inside of a church, or whatever it is, right? Bigger areas. In my home, I, I'm good with max, you know, seven yards, five yards, even. I'm probably I don't know if I have any spaces inside my home that are greater where I'm where I'm likely to engage a, an attacker at greater than five yards, and I'm pretty darn good at five yards or less. So, once again, do you want or do you care about being prepared for an active shooter situation? Answer that question. And I think to your point, Matthew, I think I want to have. I mean, I've got I've got one gun here, and I've got at least one spare mag here. I've got 25 rounds on me. This is my P365, two 12-round mags, one in the chamber, 25 rounds. I feel generally pretty comfortable right there, right? Um, the yeah, like, it, you know, it, and do I sometimes carry more? Do, do I sometimes carry a Glock 19 with a spare 17-round mag? Yeah, totally. I'll have a couple of extra rounds on me. Like, that's totally cool. And a Glock 19 is probably a little bit more effective, and especially longer-range shooting, than a P365. Although, I'll tell you, the 365 is pretty dang amazing for its size. Yeah. Anyway, I'm rambling. No, and I just wanted to talk. Um, Christopher makes some good points. So, he, he mentions... Um, you know, that 98, he says 98% of defensive homicides are one threat and two to three rounds are fire on average. So I don't subscribe to high round count. Uh, totally valid um, stats there. It, you know, his um, your, your numbers are wrong, though, Christopher. I'm sorry to say. In our own uh, study of, of all these stories we share in the podcast, it's not that high. It's substantial, yeah, it's, it, but it's not it, 98%. 
Yeah, it might. It, what was what was it like? 80, 80 something. I think that's what you came up with. But um, um, I can go pull the numbers. Hang on. Yeah, but it, it's a wrong. Let's let's say it's ninety eight. What? Um, but and then he says, um, "Do you drive a tank for fear of a car wreck?" No, odds matter to extent. I totally agree that odds matter, um, and you do take that into consideration. But the fact that you are making that decision means that you're putting some thought process into, okay, I'm going to go off of odds, right? I'm going to say my odds of being involved in needing, being involved in the shooting, needing more than two or three shots are very remote. So I'm going to subscribe to a little round count. Um, and it can be extrapolated and other people make, make those same arguments to say, well, what are the odds that I'll even be involved in a shooting today? You know, going to, th- going to the gas station, probably very remote. Um, so I'm probably, I, I shouldn't carry then I'll probably carry, you know, later when I go to this more dangerous area. So, you know, we do take odds into consideration and it's, you're making those thought processes and that's good. I mean, I, I don't fault you for that. I'm just, I'm saying that if everything is, if you don't have a problem concealing or carrying a firearm with a higher capacity, it definitely, uh, should be a consideration when you're looking at two guns or when you're looking at, should I carry more ammunition? If you can, I would say the answer is always yes. If you can't, then you make that trade-off. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of like you buy a, you buy a car that's maybe safety, safety rated higher saying like, yeah, I'll probably survive a crash in this car. It has a lower safety rating, maybe not side, you know, side airbags and all these other airbags, but this has a ton of airbags. So maybe I'm more likely to survive a crash in this you know, in this vehicle. So I feel a little bit more comfortable having this car. So I, I totally, I, you know, and we, we can have this, uh, you know, this conversation is definitely something that is its own podcast. We've had it a couple of totally. times, but, um, but yeah, at least, you know, you're making those decisions based on facts and understanding of what you're willing to, you know, give and take rather than a lot of the people I see commenting saying, well, if you need more than one round, then you're a bad <laughs> shot. And that's a very bad place. <laughs> to you know put your egg or bad basket to put your eggs in i guess yeah here's here's the number from analysis and matthew's done some of this along with me and this is still an ongoing process and these numbers you know as we add more and more stories to the database these numbers may be changing some but as of right now uh now we've covered hundreds of stories in the podcast these justified safe stories we've covered hundreds of stories like this just like we are today and in a analysis of many of those stories uh, that we've covered in the podcast it is about it is nearly one third of of justified safe stories so, so stories like what we're telling today where a good guy uses a gun to stop an attack it's nearly one third of the time it's about 30 percent of the time a good guy has to fire what can be described as multiple shots now we don't we don't often know exactly the number of shots that were fired some news stories, we, we, we find it's multiple shots. Um, sometimes we get a specific number. Um, sometimes we read in stories, a man shot you know the bad guy one time and the bad guy ran away or the bad guy succumbed to the one shot, whatever. Like that sometimes happens. But it's, it is a, it's a big enough percentage of instance, inst, instances where multiple shots are perhaps needed that for me you know, okay, that could be five shots or less. That's true. Five shots is multiple shots, four shots, three shots, multiple shots. You know, I, I think we live in a time it's where there's so many great defensive tools 
that I mean, like, look at the size of this magazine. This thing, this thing is teeny. This P365 holds 12 rounds in it. It's small. The gun itself is super small. That's one of the reasons why I'm attracted to the P365 because I can have a pretty decent capacity and still a very small package. Um, I'll also say that I'm just more effective, honestly, with bigger guns typically. Um, you know, Glock 19 is still a common go-to or even a, a P320 compact. Still, you know, a mid-sized gun, 15-round capacity gun. Still a, a common go-to for me because I'm still more effective with those guns. I'm pretty darn good with the 365. Matthew's seen it. <laughs> but but I'm still yeah. more effective with the bigger guns. So, you know, but the fact is, is, is things are getting smaller and smaller all the time and plenty of capacity. I, I'm, I'm good with this. I'm pretty comfortable. So anyway, it's a, it's a good debate. Um, and once again, I think a big question is like, do you care about being prepared for a complex event, an active shooter event? You know, that's, 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 you do you, you decide for you, not everybody, you know, most, and honestly, I know if Jacob were here, he'd be like, well, my number one goal is to get my family and get the heck out of there. That's my goal too, because you don't know what you're going to be faced with. So I, I tend to, I plan for the worst and hope for the best. That's, that's kind of my, my philosophy. Final story here, guys. Hero kills, hero customer kills gunman during wild rampage at Tumwater Walmart. What the heck? place is called Tumwater. <laughs> oh, no, that's crazy. <laughs> Tumwater, Washington. This is Washington State. Um, it's it's uh, basically in the Olympia area of Washington. An armed citizen is being hailed as a hero Monday after he killed a gunman who injured three other people during a wild rampage that began in Olympia and ended at a Tumwater Walmart store on Father's Day. Customers ran for cover Sunday as the gunman opened fire inside the store. Then shot a motorist outside in the parking lot as he attempted to carjack two vehicles at gunpoint. We just dropped all our stuff and ran for our lives, says Caitlin Walner, who was at the checkout when the suspect opened fire. It was like an earthquake. You just got to get up and haul butt and run. Another armed customer gave chase and pulled his own weapon, killing the gunman, 44-year-old Tim Day. He is a hero, said, says Brian Adams, who was at the scene and, shot, and saw the Walmart customer pull out his own weapon and shoot the gunman. I really think more people could have easily been shot with what this guy was doing. He was just, he, he was just there. He was, boy, I don't know if something's misquoted here, but anyway, there were several shots and he was there. Anyway, the bizarre drama began actually earlier around 4.40 p.m. when Olympia police were notified of a possible carjacking at a gas station. The suspect had approached a family and attempted to take their car but was not successful. I'll say that they're lucky. I don't know what they did to get away from that. Um, it does say that a 16-year-old boy in the car was injured, and they don't say how. Uh, it would not surprise I mean, this guy obviously was willing to fire his gun, so uh, perhaps that was a gunshot. I don't know. The suspect fled the scene, drove the wrong way on Highway 101, and quickly exited into the city of Tumwater. The suspect drove erratically on surface streets and crashed at, the inter at an intersection. He then left his car, went to carjack two other vehicles, fired shots at the vehicles, demanded owners abandon their cars. One victim sustained minor injuries in those attempts. He then eventually ended up car carjacking a third vehicle that he drove to Walmart. The suspect then entered the store, proceeded to the sporting goods section where he opened fire at a locked ammunition display case and removed some ammunition. I mean, it just gets wilder and wilder. The gunman then left the store and walked out, followed by two customers who were legally carrying firearms and heard the first shots. Megan Chadwick was there huddled with her four kids as the gunman stalked out into the parking lot. 
I thought we were in the clear as soon as we got out, but then I just heard four gunshots in a row and cars crashing and carts flying at us. The gunman tried to hijack a car, but when the driver refused to give it up, the gunman shot him. The suspect then approached the second car and driver, and it's then that Adam saw one of the two armed customers jump into action and shoot the gunman dead. Those men who stood up, they are heroes to me. Whew! I mean, (laughs) does it get any wilder or crazier or better than that as far as, I mean, where are the police? Where are the police? I mean, we know Olympia police knew about this. I mean, this is a multiple crime scene incident, right? We've got scenes all across town in multiple jurisdictions. This is going on. Where are they? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm not I, I, I'm not trying to give police a hard time here. Like that's just the nature of the of the beast. Like you you can't be everywhere at once. Um mm-hmm. you're trying to locate the guy, you're trying to get to the scene. It takes time, you know. My point being is that it took it took an armed citizen to be there at the right time, at the right place with the right gun, with the right training, whatever it was, and he was able to get the job done. Yeah, and, and you know, this is this is one of those situations that like you, you probably don't plan for this, right? Like, and and I don't understand Walmart. seems to be the magnet for all these bad things to happen. But, um, so always carry when you go to Walmart, you should be always carrying (laughs) Walmart's a particularly, um, they are probably the most dangerous store we cover on the podcast, right? (laughs) Walmart's and like, uh, um, phone stores and, and pawn shops. Yeah. Those three things. Um, but yeah, inconvenience stores. (laughs) inconveniencers um but yeah this is this is pretty crazy right i mean um probably you like you said different jurisdictions are probably stopped and in, in dealing with victims in one spot then the guy takes off goes the wrong way they're trying to find out where he's exiting he goes off into this you know little city maybe they're not on they don't have they don't talk communicate uh different radios um frequencies and things like that. So they're not, you know, in the loop and they're taking time to get there, but a good amount of time must have taken pass for this guy to try to carjack a couple people, run into the, you know, the Walmart, shoot it up, grab some ammo, load up, go back out, try to carjack a couple more people. Um, it's just the nature of what's happening and you're there. I mean, you got to protect yourself and that's why the police are great. They're awesome. But you know, they're not going to be there every single time when you want them to be, and you have to be able to protect yourself. And these guys, I mean, if I understand there was a couple different people, right. That had firearms that, that were defending themselves. Yeah. There's one guy that actually shot them, but there are a couple different people. Like this guy's like, Oh man, I'm picking the wrong guys because I, I keep trying to carjack people that have firearms. Yeah. We, we um, just talked last week on the podcast about a similar thing, I think in Florida, where a guy tried to carjack two different vehicles and both times was was uh, you know stopped by those drivers that were armed. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> thank God that he anyway that he was finally stopped because this yeah. dude obviously had no concern for life, no no concern for anybody, and he was going to do whatever he wanted to do, and his life wasn't wasn't important to him. I mean, just driving the wrong way down a freeway puts so many people's lives in danger. Yeah. He doesn't care. He's probably high on meth, um, you know. And so I'm just looking at his picture, probably you know, um, not in his right mind. So. Thank God that there were people there that took it seriously enough to say, I'm going to leave my house with the firearm in case I need to protect myself. And, and, 
you know, this guy wasn't able to continue doing what he's doing, shooting people and killing them. Get this. Here's another detail that I just find fascinating. This guy that shot him was probably prepared uh, more than the average gun owner, frankly. Because what does it say here? Last paragraph. After shooting the suspect, he immediately grabbed his first aid kit from his car and rendered aid to the victim of the attempted carjacking. Awesome. So he shoots the bad guy. But keep in mind, we have a carjacking victim that was also injured, shot. And this guy is like, okay, bad guy down. Grab first aid kit. You know, and and I mean, like, he's right. I mean, dude, this this guy was amazing. Um, the only thing that could be better is, you know, having that kit on you, bud. No, that's actually yeah. pretty good. I mean, here's the thing: I have I have kits in my in my vehicles. Um, they're they're more comprehensive kits than the one I carry on my ankle, um, on my person. Uh, you know, so like, yeah, I mean, I'd probably do the same thing. I'd go and get the get the better, more comprehensive kit. But, um, you know, there's, there's just a lot of really amazing things that happen in this in this situation. Uh, so many lessons to be learned. I mean, what level are you at? You know, like, <laughs> I mean, this guy is up there as far as. He's carrying his gun on his person. He recognized a threat. He dealt with the threat. And he's also prepared to deal with the aftermath in that administering, uh, you know, tactical medicine. You know, I don't know exactly what he was doing. I don't know what he had with him. I don't know, you know, so so maybe we're reading into this more. Than, I mean, maybe he had a bunch of gauze and Band-Aids. I don't know. But either way, I mean, like, what a stud for being prepared the way that he was and be, I mean, and also having the presence of mind to be able to respond, react and continue functioning throughout the duration of the event. That's another thing too. Like some people would shoot and then sort of like, Whoa, you know, the adrenaline just goes, goes haywire, you know, and, and then not maybe able to do a whole lot after that. This guy was, I mean, he was dialed in. I'd like yeah. to learn more about him if, if we could. Yeah, unfortunately, these stories they never they never give rarely, you enough, right? They rarely tell you who who the good yeah. guy is sometimes too. So, because I try to reach out to people, trust me, I know. for the podcast people, uh, listeners and stuff, and watchers, I try to get people on here. It's it's difficult to find out who they are and get in contact with them. And once you, yeah, and once you do find out who they are, it's hard to get in touch with them or hard to get them to agree to come on the show. Yeah, especially so, if their their case hasn't been litigated yet. That is that's, true too. That's very important. So. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Wow. Any other last uh, insights that you that you have, buddy? No, just uh, awesome stories. I'm really, you know, we had a lot of good comments on the on the the chat today. I appreciate all those. Keep keep coming with the with the good comments and conversation. It's uh, it's why we do this live. So yeah. Um, so we can interact and you guys can, can give us your, your two cents and, and, uh, yeah, totally spawns discussion and everything. Cool stuff. It's been a long episode today. <laughs> I kind of expected it, uh, with the craziness of stories. I mean, I titled this episode wild week in America for self-defense or something. because just, there was just so much, uh, you know, we didn't even get to the story by the way. Um, and I know that some people were following the story, but you know, last week right here in the Denver area, uh, specifically Westminster, anybody that's familiar, that's kind of like the Northwest, you know, it's kind of a suburb of Denver, um, where we had a road rage incident. It's believed where a gentleman followed a mother and her three children into a parking lot, an altercation of some sort ensued. He then shot the mom, two of her sons, one of which died and also shot, 
another man that happened to be in the vicinity as well and then took off. And then they didn't catch him till a few hours later. It was kind of a scary situation because nobody knew what the heck was going on or why it was happening. Um, and we're still finding things out, actually. So, I mean, that happened last uh, Friday, I think it was, as well. Where some same day as some of these other things we've shared today happened. Um, yeah, we didn't get to that, and, and and honestly, I'll probably talk about that at some point because I think I do think there are some lessons to be learned from that story. Um, just a crazy week last week, and and hopefully, you know, unfortunately, there there are bad things that happen every day in this country and every day in this world uh, to good people. Um, I just hope that we can all be a little bit better today, a little bit better tomorrow, a little bit better the next day in our own personal preparation and training and practice and all that so that hopefully we either stop something bad from happening to us or our family, or perhaps we might be able to stop something bad from happening to someone else. So with that, it's time to wrap it up. A reminder that today's episode is brought to get brought to you by our Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. Please check it out and learn more at concealedcarry.com forward slash app. Also, today's episode brought to you by Burnett's Live Fire Drill Cards. You can learn more about those at concealedcarry.com forward slash LFDC. And finally, today's episode sponsored by our very own Triple Guardian uh, course coming up in Cincinnati, Ohio, July 13th to the 15th. Get signed up today, concealedcarry.com forward slash Ohio Triple Guardian 2018. Matthew and I will be instructing there, and I'm very much looking forward to it. So we hope to see some of you there as well. So with that, Matthew, thanks so much today, brother, for uh, your help in producing the podcast. Always. Thank you. And so with that, a reminder to you all to be, uh, number one, because we talked about earlier, be responsible, be safe, right? Be all that stuff. And along with that, it go you know it goes along with that. Okay, this little saying that we have on you know this is actually one of the coins. Actually, that's a, that's a different one. This is one of the coins that participants in the first day of Guardian Essentials Pistol you'll get one of these numbered coins. Okay, and on here is a remind this reminder to you because we hope that this is the oath that each of you takes upon yourselves to train right, train often, and train safe, so you can fight hard, fight fast and fight true. With that, take care, be safe. We'll see you next time. that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.